You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, welcome to Lake Kick is live. It is Sunday night, September 12th, year of our Lord, 2021. Jam-packed, wall-to-wall, full week two reaction. You have never had it more clear to you that you can't trust them. When the quiet Saturdays arrive, that's when you need to plan for the chaos. Yesterday, we had it all over the place. We had upsets, sun up to sundown. We had near upsets. We had full circle of life moments everywhere from suicidal cats, a baby, flat out got born at the Southern Miss game right there in the stadium in front of God and everyone. So a momentous Saturday on a number of different occasions for a number of different reasons. We are going to have full reaction here. I got to talk to you about Oregon and Arkansas rolling over Ohio State and Texas respectively. We had just utter nightmare scenarios unfold at Florida State. Some of you didn't catch that live last night, but you've probably seen the replay. I put the over under at 10 times. You guys have watched that so far today. Southern Cal, in the wee hours of the morning, lost outright, emphatically, to Stanford. Our Chris Hummer said, boy, uh, you know, when the sun comes up, he was speaking something to that effect. I said, I don't think the sun's coming up on Clay Helton. And that was figurative in nature. He's still the head coach right now. But I think it is a matter of time now at Southern Cal. So we got to talk about that. A&M barely gets past Colorado. We got Miami sneaking past App State. Notre Dame almost lost to Toledo. We got a whole lot to talk about. I was at Iowa State last night slash yesterday afternoon and sporting a pretty serious sunburn as evidence. 95 at kickoff in Ames, Iowa. It was 75 in Athens, Georgia. Just turned the entire country upside down. Uh, We are going to talk about that. Several more games. There were some tight ones in the SEC yesterday and beyond. Michigan had a really good afternoon. One of the most crazy run-to-pass ratios you will see in the Jim Harbaugh era. There is one thing they're not lacking at Michigan right now. It's an identity. So before we go off the air tonight, I'm going to get you three best bets on the Ramen Noodle Express. We went three and two yesterday. That's all we ever try and do. You go three and two in life, you're hitting 60%. Well, you're doing okay. You're doing really good if we're doing that. So we had a good day yesterday. Vandy pulled us out of the fire. Outright win. I'm going to talk more about that in a second. Also, we are going to momentarily reveal where we'll be headed for this week's tour stop in the Late Kick Renaissance Tour. Had a good time. Had a really good time at Iowa State yesterday. I can't tell you how many dozens and dozens and dozens of you that walked up and said, hey, everyone from staffers to stadium workers to other photogs there on the field, saw a lot of our folks from 24-7 in the press box, and a lot of you in the stands. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Really appreciated all the kind words. So there was a challenge I gave to you guys last week and it was, um, you know, it was, it was a couple fold in nature. The first thing I said is, college game day is coming to town. And you know what? Shame on them. They picked Ashton Kutcher. They could have gone elsewhere for the celebrity guest picker, but that's okay. Ashton Kutcher's a big name. Ended up chatting him up on the field yesterday during the game. But what we wanted to do is we wanted to find out just how heavy is our presence there in Ames, Iowa. Can we get late kick or Pate State in some shape, form, or fashion on to college game day. And I told you, if you pull it off and you can prove to me that you pulled it off, because it's a long shot. It's really hard to get those posters in there. But if you can do it, then we're getting you something free. It's going to be really cool. It's going to be unique. It's not for sale to everyone else. I'm going to get you something. And then as I'm getting ready to leave my hotel and head to Jack Trice Stadium yesterday afternoon, the iJosh blows up. 
uh, or Aaron Grisham, I think, was the first to send it. And then ping, 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 a number of you hit me up in DMs on Twitter and whatnot. Do we have the photo actually in-house of what occurred right there on college game day yesterday? They were doing the final picks. They were doing the celebrity picks. And right there behind Ashton Kutcher, not dressed in a white tee, but rather a white hoodie, there it is. To this point, this is like an unclaimed lottery ticket. We do not know who this person was. But if you're listening to the podcast, right there, front and center, actually slightly off the stage right, screen left, is a great big fat late kick live poster. And so someone pulled it off. One of you actually pulled it off and you waited to the very end. You picked your moment to shoot your shot and it was nothing but net. We got to find out who that was. Someone bring that person to me. That is a hero. Bring the hero to me because we got something for him. If it's you, just prove to me that it's you and uh, we will hook you up. So thank you. Now where are we going this week? Because I was in town. I wasn't on the set. I was in town. College game day is headed to state college this week. And we're not just following college game day, but stands to reason we're trying to go to the big games. They're on campus for most of the big games. So we got a couple of tough decisions here. Of course, we got Alabama at Florida, and that's going to be on our network. That's on CBS. That's the 3.30 Eastern, 2.30 kickoff. A couple of undefeateds, big-time matchup, revenge potentially for Florida and the SEC championship game. And then we've also got the whiteout. We've got Auburn, undefeated Auburn, going on the road. Suddenly transformational offensive Auburn going on the road to take on Penn State. And so where do we go? I got probably more suggestions from both camps on this game than we have at any point so far in this young season. But we have made a decision, so let's roll it. Week one, we were in Charlotte, North Carolina. Week two, we just came off of it. I've been flying back home today. We just came home from Ames, Iowa. Week three, They are wearing nothing but white T-shirts in State College, Pennsylvania this Saturday. It is a whiteout. It is a primetime game. Auburn's in town. I'm already dressed for the game right now. How could we turn this opportunity down? I grew up in the South, guys. I've never experienced that. And everyone in the business I talked to said, the swamp's amazing. I know that. I've been to Florida. It's going to be electric. But there is not another atmosphere on the face of the college football planet that will replicate or duplicate choose your word, what you can experience on the field at Penn State Saturday night. The Late Kick Renaissance Tour is headed to Penn State this week. Game day will be in town. Same challenge is on the table for all of our brethren in and around State College PA. Cannot wait for this one. Talked to some of the folks at Auburn last night. They, even though they can't say it publicly, they're really looking forward to this. Everyone's looking forward to it. First game for me at Penn State cannot wait. We'll talk more about that game, obviously, as the week progresses. Right now, though, we got to take a dive back into yesterday. This was one of the crazier Saturdays in the last several years in college football. They labeled it kind of a sleeper Saturday. Be careful letting people in your life that tell you it's going to be a quiet Saturday in college football. The only quiet Saturday in this sport is the one after the season's over. The one after they've crowned a national champ, and then we're building towards National Signing Day. There are no quiet Saturdays. It started at high noon on the East Coast. It was Oregon taking down Ohio State 35-28. to 28. And if you're curious about what a renaissance season in college football looks like, because we've been labeling it that for several months now, this is what it looks like. Random, well, in your eyes maybe, random 14-point dogs just going into the shoe and taking down Ohio State a team that played for a national championship last year, a team that was an overwhelming favorite in not only the Big Ten, but the college football playoff picture coming into this year. And there are a lot of ways that I've seen people look at this. You know, when you're on the road like I was yesterday, I was not at this game. 
you start to get some feedback before you can watch the game yourself. I got to see the second half of it live, but I was already getting feedback. And it's funny because I think the predisposition a lot of people in college football have is you get mad and you start blaming the higher rated team for not living up to the rating that you've put on them. So in this case, it was a bunch of people telling me everything Ohio State was doing wrong. Let me be clear, because I've gone back and watched this game today. Let me be perfectly clear. This is not an Ohio State loss. This is an Oregon win and an emphatic one because there was never a point where they didn't have control of the game. You don't possess control of the game throughout most of the entirety of the game and have someone else hand it to you. That's not the way it works. If Ohio State was minus four turnovers like Iowa State was yesterday, you could talk to me about the Buckeyes handing the game over. You made mistakes. Yeah, you did. The other team lined up across from you has a lot to do with how much you uh, make in the way of mistakes. almost said much mistakes instead of many mistakes. And the grammar teachers from Harris County Carver Middle School would have come after me. This was a program-defining win for Oregon to put a finer point on it. And here's why there was so much doubt. Point spread notwithstanding, when you find out there's no Kayvon Thibodeau, a guy that I thought was a game changer in this, and he was a game changer. Oregon would have been a lot better had they had him on the field. I thought it was a game changer in the sense that I thought Oregon stood a puncher's chance with him. I did not think Oregon could win this game without Kayvon Thibodeau. You also add on or compound matters by the fact that they didn't have Justin Flo either. These are big-time playmakers, young in Flo's case, but big-time playmakers. And so not only do you have that dynamic in place, but guys just stepped up, and there was never a time where Oregon was trying to claw themselves out of a hole. There never was a hole. They, they were never trailing. They actually held the lead. They were on the offensive. Oregon or Ohio State rather, was on the defensive the whole afternoon. C.J. Verdell, what a game for him, the Oregon tailback. Uh, 20 carries, 161, two touchdowns, 8.1 yards per carry. And it wasn't like Anthony Brown was just bombing away. He had a good afternoon, uh, but it wasn't an elite performance through the air for Anthony Brown at quarterback for Oregon by any stretch. It was just guys stepped up, and that's one of the hallmarks. When you want to know if a program's in ascension mode, and Oregon very much is right now, and I think that's obvious, one of the hallmarks is guys step up and you're not totally dependent on any one player. Maybe the quarterback position's different, but outside of that, the big-time teams, the ones that are going to eventually be conference championship contenders, college football playoff contenders way down the road, we're not talking about that right now, they don't depend solely on one defensive player or even two defensive players. It is a next-man-up mentality. They don't blink when those guys go down. And if you watched them yesterday, they didn't blink. Not only did they step up, not only was it next-man-up, it's like they didn't even skip a beat. If you didn't know Kayvon Thibodeau existed or Justin Flo existed, you would have turned on the, you would have turned on the TV and said, yep, I guess this looks like Oregon. Pac-12 favorite, I mean, you know, 14.100, yeah, this looks like Oregon. They were missing two huge playmakers, and it really didn't matter at the end of the day. So it was eye-opening for them to presumably be outmanned and really just dictate terms all afternoon. Here's a question, though. And it's, a, I guess, rhetorical, but it's kind of a, a I don't know, it's a, it's a fun thing to watch for us especially at 24-7 in the coming days, weeks, months. I don't know what the answer to this is, and the question is how much recruiting juice can be squeezed out of one win? Whatever the answer to that question is, Mario Cristobal is about to fill in the blank. Whatever 100% of the juice that can possibly be squeezed out of a win is, they're about to squeeze it. 
And this is not a poor man's recruiting effort by any stretch. Already, they were rattling off elite prospect after elite prospect. They were going all over the country to do it. But if you look at your screen right now, the guys have just teed up Oregon's schedule. So now they've gotten through a stretch, Fresno, and then at Ohio State. Nobody picked them to be 2-0. Pretty much everyone picked them to be 1-1. Well, now they're 2-0. So if you can dodge Stony Brook, I give them a pretty good chance of that, although as yesterday taught us, nothing is certain. They're entering a stretch where their conference play is, it's, I'm not going to take any opponent lightly, uh, but it's not a, you know, it's a, it's the Appalachians. It's not the Rockies. Let me just put it that way. You got Arizona, you go to Stanford, you got Cal, and then you head to UCLA. That game's on down the road a little ways. Well, here's what you get to do. First off, you get to heal some guys up this week, hopefully. But secondly, how much can they evolve their passing game? Because ultimately, I think there's still a notch or maybe two notches that they need to improve not if they're going to be able to pull off any given game, any given upset. If they're going to put together ultimately the kind of team they want to be, there is still a level that they need to up. I don't think that coaching staff got home. If they've already watched that film, I don't think they watched it and said, we've arrived, this is what we want to duplicate every week. The result is what they want to duplicate. But from an execution standpoint, from a functionality standpoint, I think Joe Moorhead understands, and Mario Cristobal understands, when they look at that, there's still more we should be getting out of this offense, and there's more that we can get out of this offense. How much can we ask Anthony Brown to do? Yesterday, you had a guy step up, and his name was not Anthony Brown, although he played a good game. C.J. Verdell, among other guys, was who stepped up. So I spent a considerable amount of time reflecting on Oregon because I think that's what this game was about. But there is a massive Ohio State angle here, and the angle for most of you is what's wrong with Ohio State. Well, they're not as good as you thought they were. I guess is the answer you're looking for. That's what's wrong with Ohio State. Uh, But in reality, what they are is they're a very good team that you thought would be an elite team. A lot of Buckeye fans thought this would be an elite team. I don't know what the future holds for them. They're not elite right now, obviously. They get get drugged by Alabama if they played them right now. Uh, They got kind of handled by Oregon yesterday. But that's not the point. It's not the way that I choose to look at the game of college football. There have been times, believe it or not, in the past where teams got not embarrassed, but beaten early in the season and went on to do some special things. But they've got very little pass rush right now. A linebacker play is very bad. The product isn't acceptable defensively. And it's a big test for Ryan Day. He's still a very young head coach. It's one of the first major tests for him because it's a staff test. He's got the wrong guys on his defensive staff. I think he knows it. I don't think he'll ever step to a podium and say that. But when you see some of the moves they, they inevitably, I think, will make once this season ends, I think it'll become clear he understands. And, and I think most people watching now understand this is not something, if you're an Ohio State fan, that's any revelation. I think most people can watch. I, th- I thought our buddies over at College Football Nerds made a good point. Uh, they do a really good live stream, by the way. If you're interested in getting some, some deeper dive, data-driven stuff that's happening on Saturday nights, I would recommend their channel. Those are the guys who originally got me into the YouTube game. College Football Nerds is a really good channel. And I can't remember which one said it last night, but they said, you know, it's telling when your defensive coordinator, who has been in the game since the early 80s, gets his first shot as coordinator all the way down the road in 2021, and it's on your watch. That shouldn't happen. It's one thing, you know, if you got an up-and-comer and you give a, a hot-shot 31-year-old the opportunity or a 28-year-old, but, man, Kerry Coombs has been around the block 10 times. If he were cut out to be a coordinator, he would have been one long before now, and he would have been one at a very high level. 
And so I love the guy now. Uh, but there is a role that he has at Ohio State. It shouldn't be D.C. Uh, there were a lot of pure fundamental things yesterday. I don't know how many more people could have texted me and said, Ohio State can't set the edge. I mean, I think my mom at one point said, Ohio State can't set the edge. What? I didn't even know you. What are you talking about? Who taught you this? It was that obvious. It was bad. It was Oregon. It was a paint by numbers. It, it, at the end of the day, it wasn't Michelangelo. It was paint by numbers for Oregon offensively. So a couple of things, and then we'll move on here. Mario Cristobal, they got Stony Brook this week. But bigger picture, does he get his team back immediately? Because that's what college football is teaching us more and more. It looks like it's harder and harder to get your team back. Florida State, they didn't even win last week. They almost won. And Norvell could not get him back, and they got embarrassed. We're going to talk about it later. As a result, does Mario Cristobal get his team back? This is the biggest win they've had there. They've won the Rose Bowl under Mario Cristobal, and I'm telling you, in my eyes, this is the bigger win because this is the one that people didn't think they could get. People thought they could win the Rose Bowl. People did not think they could do this, and this was a heck of a coaching job by that staff too. And let me tell you something else. Mario Cristobal is not a veteran head coach. He's been there a few years now. But just as much as that, that roster has something to prove, Mario Cristobal, he knows this, Mario Cristobal and his staff have something to prove. That's probably not their day-to-day motivation. Uh, they're more accountable to their, to their players than they are you know, sports writers or fans. But there is that angle. If the fans and media didn't exist, the game wouldn't exist. So there is that angle. They proved a whole lot yesterday. Because this is one of the first times where you walk away watching Oregon against a premier staff and you say, Oregon worked them. That Oregon staff worked Ohio State yesterday. That is not to be ignored. That's a big deal moving forward. So what now? For Ohio State, what now? Well, the answer is the next game. It's one of the most overrated questions in sports. What now? You lost a game. You play the next game. That's what's next. It's not always the end of the world. Our our buddy Jeremy Birmingham was talking about that today. It's not the end of the world, man. You just move on. You just play the next game. So that's a big win, though, for Oregon. Congratulations. Uh, Let's talk about what I saw yesterday. So I was in Ames, Iowa, and I was at a stadium I had never been to, around a setting I had never been to, but I was given good lead time in letting me know that it was going to be a memorable experience, and that it was. The tailgating scene was out of this world it, it, for Iowa and Iowa State, but a lot of places across the country. I would imagine Fayetteville, Arkansas was on fire yesterday. I would imagine that this coming weekend, Happy Valley, Penn State, Auburn coming in town, whiteout, night game, it's going to be incredible. You know what you want. You know what you need to make it happen. Academy Sports and Outdoors is the only place you need to go to get all your essentials. It is the official outdoor sporting goods supplier of the Big 12, of the SEC, of this show. And if you can't get to the store for those canopies and those grills and those shirts and everything in between, you can walk up and down the aisles all day and find new stuff every time you turn the corner. Academy.com. That is your one-stop shop. And don't be like me. Don't wait until Thursday. I ordered new luggage this week, and I overnighted it, barely got here in time. If you're going to order stuff on academy.com, do it today. Do it Monday. Make sure you get it in town. Plenty of time. You can pack the truck up the night before. You don't have to worry about last minute. But if you do wait to last minute, Academy Sports and Outdoors is your place either way. We have had a lot of fun with them already. And what's been even more fun is, even though we didn't really tell you to do it, You guys have been going to Academy, the website, or in-store, in person, and you've been screenshotting what you've been doing, and you've been sending it to me. Now, I'm going to tell you something that is not exactly breaking news, but when a new advertising partner comes on board, they really want to know what the ROI is, the return on investment. And when they see a bunch of folks randomly, voluntarily, 
saying, hey, just wanted you guys to know, just gave you some of my money only because you're on this show that I like, it goes a long way. I'll just leave it at that. Thank you. <sighs> Speaking of Fayetteville, Arkansas, this one's going to be fun. Uh, not for our Texas viewers, but I'm going to talk about Texas in a second. Arkansas splattered Texas all over Fayetteville yesterday. The final was 40 to 21, and we have not used the term splattering a whole lot this year. I save it only for the most special of occasions, and this was a splattering. This was a wood chippering, and the wrong team was favored. Really, when it comes down to it, rarely do you say a touchdown favorite, wrong team favored, but in retrospect, when you look, if they played this game again tomorrow, I don't doubt that maybe an odds maker could still install Texas as a favorite. I would not allow that to happen in our model. I would manually override it. Texas was not a better team than Arkansas. And so this was, this was an incredible environment. There were a lot of dynamics. We're going we're gonna to unpack it here because you need to be paying attention to this. I don't care if you're not an Arkansas fan. There are a lot of places out there that need a lesson from Arkansas right now. They are telling you how to do it. And by it, I mean run a successful program and build it the right way. And a lot of you want to microwave it. A lot of you think you can, you can market and hashtag your way to success. That's cotton candy. They are cooking the steak. They're grilling the steak right now. Watch. Just shut up for a second and watch how they do it because they're trying to show you. They... Um, to show you how thorough this domination was, had five different players, did the Arkansas Razorbacks, run for 44 or more yards. I think they had four or five of them with rushing touchdowns. The final rushing statistics, you ought to put crime scene tape around what I'm about to say. 47 carries, 333 total yards. That's good for 7.1 yards per carry. I was over on Hog Sports earlier today, which is our Arkansas 24-7 site, and I was asking... Because I was watching this replay this morning on the flight home, and I had the earbuds in, but I mean, you can hear a little bit. You got the, you got the plane engine and all that, so it's kind, of, it's kind of hard to tell if you're hearing what you think you're hearing. It sounded to me like the most electric environment that I've ever seen at an Arkansas game. So I asked some of our folks over there, for those of you who went to the game, was this as electric as you've experienced it? And a lot of them said, yeah. A lot of them jumped in my DMs and said, yeah. I mean, there were a couple of other moments maybe that compare for individual moments in a game, but for a four-quarter, just sustained, guttural, intensity, all-in, fully emotional, you know, choose any other cliche you want to, this was it. This was the new benchmark, and it sounded like it to me. So what's going on at Arkansas? They're not parked in the top 10 on National Signing Day. They're not pumping guys into the first round right now. So what's going on at Arkansas? Well, here's what you need to know, and this is where it extends well beyond Fayetteville. One of the best lessons in college football is being taught at Arkansas right now. And Sam Pittman, the head coach there, for those unfamiliar, will not brag on himself. He will only deflect praise to his roster. He, the only time he's talking about himself is when he's shouldering blame. But I'm going to brag for him because this is a guy that has figured it out. Arkansas is a university that has figured it out. Culture, everyone preaches it. So few places get it right. The key to culture is it's built in layers, game by game, you know, quarter by quarter, but year by year, but you add it in layers. It doesn't all come at once, but what has to happen, you can go about it different ways. It has to be built around a core of authenticity, and a lot of times, it doesn't matter which kind of layers you add, you don't have a core of authenticity, because a lot of folks just aren't authentic. A lot of folks are frauds. You can be a good football coach and be a total fraud as a person. We've seen it before. Uh, Sam Pittman is the inverse of that. But what happens is you get a guy in there that can grease board you to death, and he can chalk talk you to death, 
but he's not authentic and he's not relatable and he doesn't blend in with the culture there. And so you're trying to oil and water your way to success and it doesn't work. Sam Pittman is Arkansas. It's not Velcro. They're like cemented. There is not one and the other. They are one. You have a core built around a guy and a culture that is as purely authentic as any place in college football. That's why it's working. That's why all the layers are sticking. And so now another layer got added yesterday. This big win over Texas. This meant the world to Arkansas. Some of you are too young to understand. I'm too young to have lived it, but I know history, at least of this sport, I know history. There was a time where what happened last year to Arkansas in the Auburn game, and by that I mean having a game ripped from their clutches that they had earned, that used to happen against Texas. In the Southwest Conference, that used to happen. Texas folks know it. Some of them would even brag about it. This meant everything to Arkansas. And I'm telling you, what it was, was it was an early warning sign, you know, to Texas. A lot of this stuff's overblown, but it was an early warning sign that when you come over here, when you finally do make the jump, you could win over here, but this is what it's like pretty much every week. Arkansas, I mean, most people would call them a middle-of-the-pack SEC program. Well, it was a knife fight for Texas last night, and they came out on the wrong end. They finished second place in the knife fight last night. But also what it was is whether you believe in this or not, a lot of people do believe in it. So at the very least, if it's a mirage, we can erase the mirage of home cooking, of things being tilted in Texas' favor. Again, modern day, I think a lot of that's overblown. But back in the SWC days, that was not overblown. And so Arkansas folks, they had a lot of frustration. I don't even think four quarters was enough. But they would have beaten that pinata last night well into the early hours of the morning, long after the candy had been strewn all over the place. But man, Arkansas has got the cultural fit figured out. And Sam Pittman, like I told you last week, is a guy that not only will his players and staff go to the cliff, they'll go over the cliff for him. And I'll tell you what it reminded me of last night. When you watch Arkansas right now, you don't see him in the top 10 on National Signing Day yet. They're not pumping guys into the first round of the draft, but yet they're beating teams you don't think they're supposed to beat. And it reminds me of what can happen when you get culture right. And guys will go over a cliff for you, and they'll just all stick their face in the fan, and they don't care about the consequences. That's how much they're bought in. That's how authentic the culture is, and that's how much culture matters. It's not quantifiable. It's not something you can draw on a stat sheet, but it matters. Think Michigan State with Mark D'Antonio when they were at their best how hard it was for Urban Meyer and Ohio State against those guys. Think Auburn at various points, as long as Nick Saban's been at Bama. That place has had its moments where Bama's been far superior roster-wise and couldn't get it done against Auburn. And I'm going to tell you what people think, what Bama fans think when they watch Auburn, what Texas fans thought last night when they were watching Arkansas, and what Buckeye fans thought in the past at times when they were watching Michigan State. Why won't you just lay down? Why won't you know your role? We're better than you. We're more talented. We got more future first-round draft picks. We are superior. We're favored. We're supposed to win. Why won't you just do what you're supposed to do and lay down? They won't. It gets really aggravating to watch. Now, no one says that out loud because it makes you sound like some words I can't say on air right now. But that's what you're thinking. You're thinking, you're just Arkansas. Okay, it's nice. You tried for a little while. Sit down. They're not going to sit down. This is the jello to the wall. You're not nailing it to the wall. And so last night, Texas... You watch them last night, and then you compare them to the emotion and the body language and the energy from Arkansas. There was no comparison because one of them is built on a foundation of culture that is rich, and and it's going the place it needs to go. And then the other place, they're still trying to figure it out. Now, this is not an apples to apples. Sark's been there five minutes. This is Pittman's second year. And so, you know, the Roots have been able to take a little bit more there. But I wish more places 
would learn from this. South Carolina is trying it right now. South Carolina watched what Arkansas did, and they saw the immediate result. They saw the immediate return. Last year, Arkansas was better than they were supposed to be. They got culture figured out. South Carolina is trying to do it. They hired a guy in Shane Beamer that, much like Sam Pittman, doesn't feel like he'd be a fit anywhere else. But it doesn't matter. That's the uniqueness of college football. My fit could be a duck out of water at your place. In the NFL, a job's a job. In college football, it's more than a job. It's, it's about blending in with the culture. And Sam Pittman fits perfectly. He is a puzzle piece fitting into Fayetteville, Arkansas. Hopefully Beamer is that. But there are a lot of places out here that are in need or are about to be in need, wink, wink, that could learn from the criteria that Arkansas used. And it also goes back to that underrated question all the time in college football. You lose a game or, or you finish four and six or four and eight or whatever in a season. And everyone wants to ask, well, if not now, then when? They're about to ask this at Nebraska if they fire Scott Frost. Well, if not him, then who? The next guy. The next guy. Trey Biddy, who is over at hogsports.com, he does a feature after every Arkansas game. It's called Walk and Talk. And it's, it's a really good feature. I always watch it after Arkansas games. He did the best one, in my opinion, he's ever done last night. And all it is is... He's got the selfie stick. I don't actually don't know what equipment he's using. Anyway, he's walking literally outside the stadium, and he's just talking. It's on YouTube. It's on there right now if you want to go watch it. I would strongly encourage you, even if you're not an Arkansas fan, go watch it because he gets it. And he was explaining how people there get it. But what he did was he laid out all these upsets and all the embarrassment, like when Western Kentucky came in there and won a few, few years ago, all of that. And he said tonight was so emotional because the context was key. We were remembering all that. And then looking, that after we hired these guys, these, these hotshot former coordinators, up-and-coming head coaches, and it didn't work out, we hired a guy that no one else wanted, Sam Pittman. No one even so much as gave it a second thought. People looked and said, oh, I guess Arkansas has just resigned themselves to reality. And the guy no one else wanted is the one that's in the process of resurrecting the program. That is it. I would encourage you to go watch that. It's about 10 minutes long, but he really laid it out. It's a fun feature. But that's the answer for a lot of these places, Nebraska and elsewhere. They're going to ask, well, if not now, if not him, then who? The next guy. Because I can guarantee you one thing. While some Arkansas fans who have proper perspective may have remembered the bad times last night as they were celebrating the good times, at no point did it temper the excitement. At no point after one of several touchdowns they scored against Texas yesterday did any Arkansas fan golf clap and say, yeah, but you know, after that Western Kentucky loss a few years ago, it's just hard for me to get excited about the program. That'd be stupid. No one thinks like that. You only have to get it right once. Doesn't matter how many screw-ups, just keep swinging. Just keep chopping. As long as you eventually get it right, no one cares. No one's thinking about the past now. In fact, it makes you appreciate the present all that much more when things are good because you've had some, some lean years, which Arkansas had. But K.J. Jefferson, man, that quarterback's continuing to grow. Uh, they followed roughly the kind of game plan we thought they would if they were going to pull the upset. He ran the ball, did K.J. Jefferson early and often. Uh, next up, Arkansas has Georgia Southern. I'm not crazy about the opponent. I'm not crazy about the placement right there sandwiched between Texas and Texas A&M, a game which we are strongly considering going to in Dallas in two weeks, by the way. Uh, but they're favored by, I think, about three touchdowns. So same question for Sam Pittman. This is not a flawless team. Please don't mistake me and please don't make the mistake of ranking Arkansas in the top 10 this week. Arkansas is a good team that is rapidly improving. Do not make the mistake, as we've all been prone to do in the past, of overrating them right now and then having them lose a game or two, which they're going to do, 
Uh, they're, they've, they're not at that level yet. It's still a process, still a work in progress. Don't rate them high, have them lose a game, and then trash them. It's not the way you should be handling this program. This is not a top 10 team yet, but it is a team that is better today than they were this time last week, and they were better this time last week than they were two weeks ago. That is called week-over-week improvement, and that's the hallmark of an improving program, led by the right man. So it's a very, very intriguing program right now. If you got some stock out there and you want to buy, Arkansas is a program to buy. Listen, Texas right now, by the way, they, and by they I mean Steve Sarkeesian, they entered into what I thought was not worst-case scenario, but it was a threat and it was a fear I had for them. And that is choosing a quarterback, Hudson Card, and then getting into the season and because they, they're just not loaded for Bear yet, they are not fully prepared to run everything Sark wants to run. They had what I call crowbar in the spokes threat about them. And that's an all or nothing, feast or famine sort of deal. Last week, when Texas played Louisiana, they were 8 for 10 on third down passing. That's not sustainable. And so while it was good for last week's result, I kind of tried to warn you on this program, there's going to come a time where they don't execute at that level. And what happens in an offense like that, where everything is built on precision, precision, precision. Mac Jones played good enough to win his first NFL game today because he exercises that talent, precision. If you don't have it, then you don't slow down. It is crowbar into the bicycle spokes, and you just fly over the handlebars. You don't slow down. It just grinds to a halt. And that's what happened yesterday. There were some really, really bad numbers in that game. Texas had 118 total passing yards in this game yesterday. So it was bad. But now, moving forward, they yanked Hudson Card in that game too late, according to many. And they brought in Casey Thompson, and they popped a couple of scores. Now, you could argue that's after the game was already out of reach, or you could argue it should have been done a little bit sooner to try and salvage a game, which Texas still technically had a shot to win. Uh, The bottom line is, we're two games into the season. There's a long way to go. And now after you lose, what did we talk about throughout the entirety of fall camp? When they lose is when it'll get real. As long as you win, even people who disagreed with your initial quarterback decision, they're not going to chirp. They're not going to run their mouth. No one runs their mouth when you're winning. But now they lost pretty convincingly. And so they got to get ready for rice. Number one rule on the show, better not lose to food. So you got rice coming up, but then it gets real in a hurry. They got Texas Tech at TCU, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. It does not get any easier. They got a treacherous Big 12 schedule. And now you've got people questioning your decision making at quarterback. And it doesn't necessarily limit itself to just fans or media. It could be in your locker room. I'm not speaking firsthand now. I'm speaking purely hypothetically. That's the biggest threat for young coaching staffs. Make a decision. It doesn't immediately produce fireworks and people start questioning you because that is the natural tendency of human beings. Uh, But good win, man. Congratulations for Arkansas. Really happy for those folks. As I tweeted last night, if I do not see an Arkansas game in person this year, I will consider it a personal failure. So we are working on that even as we speak. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Uh, let's move on. We cannot dance around this forever, and you know what I'm talking about. I don't even know where to begin. Florida State lost to Jacksonville State yesterday. That's where we begin. And now, let's go from there. 20-17 to 17 was the final. It's hard to recall a worse moment in Doak Campbell Stadium history. It is hard to recall a worse moment in Florida State football history, at least in the modern era. And I was reading a lot of folks who cover this team for a living, and they were kind of echoing the same sentiment. If there was a worse moment, we don't remember it. Six days after taking Notre Dame to overtime in the season opener, we watched Jacksonville State plant a flag on Chief Osceola's face at midfield in Dope Campbell Stadium. If that doesn't explain the volatility of college football better than anything, I don't know what does. That really happened last night. A lot of you weren't watching this. That actually happened. So what happened exactly? Well, they got beat. That's the first thing that happened. And it wasn't some freak turnover fest or a bunch of special teams scoring. They just got beat by Jacksonville State. But to put a finer point on it, I'm assuming you guys have seen the ending of this game. But if you have not seen the ending of this game, I don't think I've said unconscionable on the show this year. I was waiting for a moment like this. Something flat-out unconscionable happened at the end of this Florida State-Jacksonville State game. There were six seconds left in the ballgame. Okay, you're watching the play right now. That is the last play of this game. If you're listening on podcast, just be glad you're not watching. Six seconds left. Uh, Jacksonville State's on their own 41-yard line. Uh, Norvell, apparently, in the postgame, claims they're in cover two man under which I guess is to prevent them getting in field goal range, which they would have needed 25 to 30 more yards just to do. And, oh, by the way, there's still the threat of actually giving something up over the top and losing the game. The effort, or lack thereof, for several trailing defenders, not to mention the guys who were in position for the third time in this show, unconscionable. If I were a former Florida State player, forget fan and forget booster administrator, it would have been a good thing if I wasn't at the game. Like, that's the kind of stuff some of those old-school Miami or Florida State players, when they watch the current guys play like that, a lot of times it can get really ugly behind the scenes because those guys back in the day took a ton of pride in wearing that garnet and gold uh, or wearing that U on the side of their helmet, and it's really disgusting to you know for them to watch the product sometimes that's on the field these days. I cannot begin to imagine some of those former secondary players for Florida State watching the way this game ended. I can't imagine the furniture broken in the living rooms all uh, up and down the Florida panhandle. But Mike Norvell afterwards, this is where a lot of the rub has come for Florida State fans. Mike Norvell had no answer, really. He had an answer, but it wasn't worth anything. I I could have given a better answer. I mean, my cousin could have given a better answer. He's never coached a game in his life. Your head coach... Uh, at Florida State being Mike Norvell, would have been a lot better off just saying, you know, I call the offensive plays here. I really wasn't dialed into what was happening. Now, that in and of itself would have been inexcusable, but it would have been better than what we heard. Because what we heard 
was a head coach, you know, last check, that's the guy who's clearing everything. A head coach stepped up and actually said he put his stamp of approval on running cover two man with six seconds to go in a game and the opponent on their own 41-yard line. He signed off on that. That's stuff that would get you demoted on a high school coaching staff. I'm just telling you, you guys out there in the football world know that's true. And this is the head coach at a Power 5 a former national championship winner. In the last decade, this program's won a national championship, and that's where it is right now. This has obviously big impact, short-term and long-term. The short-term is it throws your season into possibly a tailspin. Uh, the long-term is all the goodwill you built up last week in the world of recruiting could have possibly been erased. I know that sounds herky-jerky. It is. It, it, it very much is because these are the extremes. You save that reaction, the knee-jerk reaction, only for the most extreme of occurrences. This is the extreme. You take a top 10 team, at least in AP ranking, to the very wire in overtime, and then you fall to an FCS program. And this is not a top-shelf FCS program this year, guys. Jacksonville State got woodshedded by UAB in week one. I mean, shut out, woodshedded. So this is not one of those classic Jacksonville State teams that would compete in some Power 5 conferences. That's not them this year. And Florida State, it didn't really matter yesterday. So the short term is the season, who knows what happens now. But here's the problem with the long term. The long term is what happened last week in front of your eyes is Florida State almost won a big game. And as I said on the program, it's not like I've forgotten what I said It was a huge win for them. Even though they lost on the field, it's a huge win in other areas because recruits got to experience a fully charged electric environment, but they got to witness a product that looks like it's on its way and looks like it's close and looks like with the addition of them, it could be pushed over the top. Now, let me tell you what happened this week. What happened this week is rival staffs got in the ear of those recruits and they said, I'm sure you had a good time, but listen, A lot of what you saw is a mirage. It's not going to stick. You just watch. You don't have to take my word for it. Wait and see. The rest of the season, you will not get that result duplicated. And to put a finer point on it, there are a lot of people out there doubting the quality of this overall coaching staff. I'm telling you, I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm telling you, this is what we hear from the recruiting trail and from folks in the industry. That's what's happening. Okay. Now, you totally hold it in your possession to prove that right or wrong. And then last night happens. So let me tell you what today consisted of. Today consisted of a lot of rival staffs picking up the phone and typing three words, told you so, and then set the phone down. What are you going to do, push back on it? You can't because you know what they have? They have the benefit of replay capability. All they got to do is go watch. And so that's the long term. Here's the problem. We were just talking about culture with Arkansas and how they're building it the right way. Everyone hopes they're building it the right way. I remember the first time I ever took a ski trip in my junior year of high school. We went out to Winter Park, Colorado, and they had just had a massive snowfall. It was like one of the second or third biggest snowfalls in the history of the Rocky Mountains. And the Rockies have been there a long time, I'm told. And so they were teaching us about avalanche protocol. And they were explaining the science behind avalanches. And all that happens is you get weaker layers of snow and then several more heavy, compact layers of snow on top of it. And, you know, it it makes sense, but that doesn't matter. What matters is... If you have a weak layer underneath, it's just it's, it's a recipe for disaster because the more weight you put on top of it, the closer you're getting to an avalanche happening, and you have to build programs the right way. 
And what happens when you get a layer like this is sometimes it terminally flaws your ability to keep building. Now that sounds, that sounds hyperbolic, but it's not. You've seen this happen before. You've seen some really bad stuff happen that looks like it's going to stunt the growth of a program, but then some good stuff will come down the road, but then when it crashes, it really crashes. I'm telling you it's happening at Southern Cal right now. We're about to talk about USC. USC has not been built the right way. USC's had some good moments, though. USC played for the Pac-12 championship last year. There's some heavier layers of snow. It's on top of a layer that will not hold, though, because it hasn't been built the right way. And so an avalanche is coming in Los Angeles, California, of all places. And it could very well be that an avalanche is coming in Tallahassee, Florida. I know this sounds like a much different tune than last week. A lot's changed. The status quo has changed, as Nicolas Cage's dad said in National Treasure. Son, the status quo has changed. This was a horrifically bad loss. Very well could be the worst in Florida State football history. And it wasn't even the craziest thing that happened on Saturday, to let you know how crazy yesterday was in college football. Let's keep rolling. Uh, the, the funeral procession continues here. Stanford 42, Southern Cal 28. Uh, dare I say it was not as close as the final score indicates. This game was simmering all week. We did not break it down. But when I was talking to the guy that we do the model with, the data scientist, the unnamed uh, enigmatic data scientist from Parts Unknown, we were talking about this game. Uh, the model did not necessarily peg it. It wasn't like it was saying, bet Stanford, bet Stanford. But it was so weird. It was just sitting there at 17. Southern Cal was favored by 17. Not quite the 42-point underdog Stanford was back in the day when they beat him in 07. But Southern Cal was favored by 17. And it wasn't really moving, either or. Uh, you, you know the backstory. Southern Cal covered in week one. They beat San Jose State. Meanwhile, Stanford goes to Kansas State, and they get beat handedly. And so there's just no life in the Stanford program. Everyone's questioning them all week. It's the second straight road game to start the year. And then they go in there, and they just handle USC. Stanford, I know it sounds weird. This is where college football differs from a lot of the other sports. I'm watching this game in my hotel room last night. And the only thing I could think is Stanford is doing Southern Cal favors that they never even thought they needed. Southern Cal fans, some of them have longed for this. The worst nightmare for a college football fan, for, a, for an elite program, or a program that has the capability of being elite, at least. For traditional power programs, the worst thing for the fan base is floating in that nether region of, well, we're not good enough to win anything, but we're not bad enough to do anything. Well, that's where Southern Cal's kind of been in the Clay Helton era. And Stanford did Southern Cal fans a huge favor last night because they removed the doubt. That's what they did. They pulled the veil back. They showed you what was behind the curtain. And what's behind the curtain is not something good enough for USC football. I never, rarely do I do that on this show because I don't like doing that kind of show. I don't do the hot seat stuff. It's most of the time it's stupid. So I don't do that. Uh, this is not a hot seat. This is just a coaching staff that's not good enough for USC. I have made my feelings about USC well known. Uh, this should be a perennial national championship contending program. It's really hard when you think about this because there's a huge disconnect right now with USC. And I, to be honest with you, I know a lot of the fan base gets it. I don't think the administration out there and maybe some older Southern Cal blue hair types get it. There is a massive disconnect about Southern Cal football right now between what the perception is for someone 35, 45, 55 and older versus someone 17 years old. Now you may listen to that and you may say, yeah, I know we've been down a few years. No, 
someone my age or 10 or 20 years older than me, they can remember one or several generations where Southern Cal ran college football for a period of time. When I was growing up, it was Matt Leinart. It was Reggie Bush. It was LA. It was Hollywood. It was celebrities all over the sideline. Last night, if you watched the latter portions of this game, you could have shouted your name in one end zone, and your buddy sitting 120 yards away could have heard you clear as day. It was a ghost town. They were still playing the football game, and it was like a Marlins baseball game in the regular season back at the Joe Robbie days. You could count everyone in the stands. People who are 17 years old, i.e. the lifeblood of your program, i.e. recruits, they don't even remember a time where USC ran college football. They're not old enough. That's how long it's been. That's a big problem. It's inexcusable that there should ever be a drought that long. This is not atmospheric science. You can get droughts that long ecologically. You totally control this. The administration there has it within their power to make the right decisions in a sport that is so heavily tilted in your favor, you almost have to try to screw it up. And yet here we are. Southern Cal can't get out of its own way. It can't take a leak without getting the front of its pants wet. And so now we're going to watch them with the most favorable schedule in the Pac-12 South, stumble to a finish that's well below standard. And now the only question is going to be all year long as the cloud hangs over the program, when's it dropping? And where's it going to happen? Are we going to wait to the end of the season? Are we going to do the middle of the season? But at the very least, Stanford last night did a lot of USC fans a favor. And this is not anything that's even polarizing to say on the West Coast at this point. Far, far, far more people out there agree with what I'm saying than disagree. They finally did them the favor in removing the doubt. There are no two sides to this argument now. There is no 50-50 split of over here, there's the pro Helton, here's his list of accomplishments, he's still doing a lot more right than he is wrong. Those people are few and far between if you can find them at all. This is a, a mass consensus that something needs to be done, changes need to be made. Question becomes, as has often been the case out there, is there still a disconnect between the fan base and the administration. And then the follow-up to that is, how hard are you going to press the issue if you're a Southern Cal fan? By that I mean, how longer are you guys showing up to games? Because if they won't make the change, you do have the power. You do have one ace in your back pocket, and that is your money, and that's your attendance. you gotta ta- you got to choke it away from them. That's why fair-weather fans sometimes can be a gift. It can be a blessing in disguise. Because the diehards sometimes trigger the sense that you can take them for granted and you can take the fan base for granted. And it's a very admirable quality to stick with the team through thick and thin. But sometimes it is a perilous quality because when you know you have them, in our, in our world, they're called P1 listeners. And sometimes misguided program directors or show hosts think they can take their P1 audience for granted. You guys who watch every episode of Late Kick, if I were stupid, I would think I could take you for granted. You don't ever take anything for granted. You, don't, you don't, can't take anyone for granted. But at USC, they think they can take you for granted. And anyone sitting in that stadium last night, unless you're a parent of a player or you have some, some external attachment to the university, they think they can take you for granted. Because if you're still sitting there at the end of that, then what's going to make you walk away? Be very interesting to watch and see how Southern Cal fans handle this and then in turn how the administration responds. There are several more takeaways we're about to rattle through. It was a very busy night in college football, but it didn't have to start on Saturday. So mm, what, what, I think Tuesday of last week, we ran the model 
I was trying to get some more ramen noodle express picks, and so we ran the model. Got some picks coming up at the end of the show, by the way. And one game stood out. And the game was a game where there was a seven-point underdog, but our model said that the seven-point underdog was going to win outright. And who was it? Of all programs, it was the Vanderbilt Commodores who had just been thrashed at home Against East Tennessee State, I think the score was like 23-3. to They got beat by several touchdowns at home against an FCS opponent. So our model says not only is Vandy going to go to Colorado State and cover, they're just going to win outright. Well, as you know, our old buddy Barton Simmons is now the general manager of Vanderbilt football. So I did what I do. I picked up the iJosh, and I texted Barton. And it wasn't enough that I just texted him. I screenshotted it as close friends often do. Screenshot your personal, private messages and then show them to the world. And I told Barton, you're going to win Saturday. Do with that info what you will. And I said, the model says 24 to 22. This is a Vicky Valancourt special. Circle water boy. Ain't no guess. That's how it's going to be. Vicky Valancourt once told Lynn Swan that on the sideline in the middle of the Bourbon Bowl. I told Barton Simmons the same thing. 24 to 22. The model said Vanderbilt beats Colorado State 24 to 21 last night. Round of applause for the model. Heck of a job. Great accomplishment by all. And Clark Lee's first win as a head coach at Vanderbilt. And so they played late last night. They probably just got back home. But with that in mind, that was the cap. That, I didn't go to bed last night until that game was over. But that was the cap on what was a wild day in college football. What happened elsewhere? Well, the game I was at was Iowa-Iowa State. And the Hawkeyes win 27-17. to I'd love to do an extended breakdown on this, but... It really isn't warranted. All you need to know is the padlock stat. Probably the most standout padlock stat in any major game yesterday was this one. Minus four turnovers for Iowa State. Or, alternately, you could say four turnovers forced by Iowa. However you want to look at that, no one's winning this game at minus four turnovers. Uh, It was a miracle that it was even a 10-point game at the end. And so Kirk Ferentz is a veteran, man. I mean, that's a pros, pro when it comes to college coaches. That is a pro's pro. Because there was no gimmick about Iowa yesterday. There was no hype. That was all on the Cyclone side. I was a part of it. I participated actively, willingly. Wasn't crazy about the black jerseys. Uh, But I was going to let it ride because that's your program. That's not my program. But red and yellow is a hard color combo to screw up. Jersey colors didn't lose the game yesterday. What I'm saying is Kirk Ferentz did something that is so veteran and so savvy. With all that hype, He just sat back and he watched it and he almost stroked his chin and said, against that veteran team in a hornet's nest of a stadium and game day in town and all the trappings, I'm going to walk in there and we're just going to sit and wait for them to hand the game to us. We're not even going to overly be aggressive. We're just going to go in there and play our brand and they'll give us the game. And Iowa went in there and they took, in retrospect, what was the most sound and shrewd approach that you could take in that game yesterday. They sat in Jack Trice Stadium, and they just waited. They might as well have propped their foot up on their knee, and Iowa State turned it over and turned it over and turned it over and turned it over. And Iowa did just enough. I mean, there was a 339 to 173 yardage edge in favor of the Cyclones. There was a 4.8 to 2.9 yards per play edge, Cyclones. And yet Iowa puts 27 on the board. Didn't even accumulate 180 yards total offense. And they put 27 on the board. And so now we have to ask about Iowa, because this is two weeks in a row that turnovers and points off turnovers have led to emphatic wins. 
and you start to ask that question, is it sustainable? Do they just continue to do that all year long? Um, I will tell you this. We have seen years where teams do that. They're not plus four every week, but we have seen years where teams finish plus 10 or plus 15 turnover margin, and it's just a staple of the formula that they use. Iowa plays good complementary ball. They're not fragmented. Everything works in unison on that team. And so now people are talking playoff. It's way premature to talk like that. They are a team that understands perfectly what their identity is. They don't try and be anything they're not. They are, though, a team that's very dangerous. And they'll sit there and they'll back themselves into a corner, and then you'll start reaching in there, and then they'll bite you. Don't reach. That's that's the secret. Don't reach. But it's really hard. I know it's really tempting. So congratulations to Iowa. That was not an easy place to play yesterday, and they went in there and took control. There was never a time, there was never a time where – Iowa State could fully get that crowd into it because there was never a time where they jumped ahead and grabbed momentum. There was never a time it happened. So congratulations to Iowa. Good trip, though. It's the best trip I've taken. I've never been treated better than the folks both sides now treated me in Iowa. That was a great time yesterday. I'm, I'm very, very much looking for an excuse to get back up there. Penn State at Iowa down the road? Who knows? Michigan 31, Washington 10. Let me tell you one thing you're not going to do. You will never, this year at least, question the identity of Michigan's offense. It may not be the offense you all thought you would get when you hired Josh Gaddis a couple years ago, but they've got an identity. Three touchdown win here. Uh, How about these numbers? 44 yards passing. Not a padlock stat, because if I told you Michigan was going to have 44 through the air, you would have thought crushing defeat. Nope, because the follow-up is 343 on the ground. There was a 15-56 to run-to-pass ratio in this game for Michigan. Um, that's an identity. It's called sledgehammer. That's the identity. It's, it's pretty obvious. I think they said it in the broadcast last night. It's pretty obvious. At some point over the summer, Jim Harbaugh went to Josh Gaddis and said, um, all these pass plays, yeah, forget it. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, it's, like, it's like Herman Boone. I run six plays like Novocaine. Just give it time. It'll work. This was not an immediate pull away. It was a four-quarter wear you down, lean on you, eventually you crumble. I mean, I credit Washington for even standing up as much as they did. Washington's a good team, but you can't just keep getting pounded on like that. It's not going to happen. Washington's 0-2 now. They are one of my favorite teams this week. We're going to do Ramen Noodle Express in just a second. Washington's a 14.5-point favorite against Arc State. Looks like a terrible line. We love Washington. Love them this week. Horrible matchup for Arkansas State, the least of which is they have to fly to Olympia, Washington. But we love Arkansas State. uh, Well, we love Washington over Arkansas State this week. We'll get to that in just a second. Pitt beats Tennessee 41-34. I got some very interesting feedback on this game. You know, Colin, Director Colin is my uh, resident Tennessee insider. So I always ask him, what do I need to know about that Tennessee game? And I wanted to see if Director Colin was going to tell me what other Tennessee fans told me. Because I was obviously not at this game. I was not able to watch it live, but I was getting a lot of feedback. And a lot of Tennessee fans that I'm buddies with, they kept texting me and they kept saying, you know, eventually when they lost the game, we've lost the game, we hate that, blah, blah, blah. But there's a lot of encouragement. And that's rare. Because most of the time the sky's falling when Tennessee loses, according to these guys at least. So Colin walks in tonight and I asked him, how'd you feel? I know the final, I know the outcome, we all know that. How did you feel? He said, you know, I mean, I hate losing, but like, I liked a lot of what I saw. That was a theme yesterday. That's rare. I've wanted to point that out because you don't hear that most of the time from a losing side. They hate losing, 
but they're still encouraged by what they saw. They were down several players to start the game. They lost more players during the game. Pitt's average age is like 30, and so they, there was a, it was a roster advantage in favor of Pitt. Let me just say that. What lost this game for Tennessee, as I went back and watched it, is something I don't say very often. I really think officiating disproportionately impacted Tennessee in this game, but I'm not going to call that the reason they lost. Now, you could argue with me if we changed some calls here and there in a one-possession game, maybe it changes the outcome, but when I look at stat broadcast which is a service we use, and I see 13 penalties for over 130 yards, that lost you the game. I'm willing to guarantee it. That lost you the game. So there is a lot in this sport that may be outside of your control. If a guy blows a call on you, he blows a call. But uh, there was an old Little League coach by the name of Dan Pate that coached the Catala Mudcats back in the day. And uh, we went 1-15 our first year, but rattled off three consecutive league championships the year after. And one of the reasons, among many, is because we got taught umpires or officials can only cost you a game if you put them in position to cost you a game. If you let an official break your heart, they will break your heart. Tennessee put the game in position for officials to break their heart, and they got their heart broken. But there was a lot of encouragement. There is a lot to build on. There's a long, long way to go. Don't mistake me. It's not like they're on the precipice of something enormous. But there was some encouragement. And at the very least, like we said at the beginning of the year, when Tennessee loses games this year, they're going to go down with no bullets in the chamber. It's not going to be like a 13 to 9 rock fight where, you know, they got get stopped inside the 20-yard line four times. This is not that kind of team anymore. So at the very least, when you lose, we thought this was what it was going to sound like. Yeah, we lost. But there were some encouraging signs. Now you got to build on it. I thought the most fascinating under-the-radar game of the entire week was being played in Lexington, Kentucky. And sure enough, it delivered. Kentucky 35, Missouri 28. Huge win. I think an underrated win right now in the East, but a huge win for Kentucky. And there is probably a difference in what you think happened versus what really happened. Because there's a new perception about Kentucky, and that is they're going to throw it all over the place. And long-term, I think they may be committed to that. But Mark Stoops is still one of the most veteran head coaches around, and he understands that styles make fights and matchups are how you win games. And they looked at Missouri, and they thought, we're going to have to run the ball, and we're going to have to run it a lot. And as much as I told you that Michigan-Washington game was tilted in run pass, think about this. Kentucky, you may think they threw the ball all over Missouri. A lot of you didn't watch this game. 18 runs, 50 or, let me, let me reverse that. It's probably what you thought happened. They threw the ball 18 times. They ran it 52 times. 340 yards on the ground, 6.5 per carry. That, um, that's pretty heavily tilted. That's an identity in and of a game. But it's very important, man. It's a, it's a huge win in the SEC East because you think you know how the East is going to shake out. You think you know Georgia's going to win it. I think they're going to win it. You think you know Florida will finish runner-up, but you don't know that. Because I think there's a... I think there's a gap there right now. And so there is probably some competition to be had at that number two spot. Now, Florida uh, has a very high ceiling on them. Uh, We've, in a lot of ways, still yet to see it this year. Very excited about Anthony Richardson. Very excited. Notice the quarterback's name I mentioned is not QB1 right now. But for all we know, as I said last week, the winner of this game could end up finishing second in the East. Crazier things have happened. And in a renaissance year, which we are very much in the throes of, just keep this game in mind is all I'm saying. Texas A&M won against Colorado. That was expected. Winning with 10 points was not expected. True story here. 
yesterday, I'm on the sideline at the Iowa State game. And as is usually the case during the commercial breaks, they're scrolling scores over the banners and the ribbon screens and the scoreboard. And the A&M game keeps popping up. And it says 7-3, to Colorado, fourth quarter. Then it said 10-7, A&M, fourth quarter. The assumption on the sideline amongst all the assembled media and everyone else is that score's messed up. All the rest of them look right, but there's a glitch in the A&M score. We don't really know what the score is. That was the assumption. I agreed. That's how off this game was. It was right. There was no glitch. So good to the tech crew in Ames, Iowa. They had the right score up. 10-7 to 7 was the final. A&M was favored by 17. There were 17 total points scored in the game. Crazy. Obviously, there were some extenuating circumstances here. Uh, Haynes King went down, starting quarterback for A&M. Does not look like he'll be able to go this week. That's not official, at least as of recording. Uh, but there's a lot of doom and gloom. But I want to say something. Uh, there is value in winning a game. Now, don't think there's not. I know that I say a lot of times, you're more than just what your record says you are, but you better win these. And there was a time a few years back in 2014, I remember Alabama won one of the ugliest games from an aesthetic standpoint in the Nick Saban era. They beat Arkansas 14-13. to And you've heard Saban this week. He's aggravated about everything when they're blowing folks out. I've never heard Nick Saban more demonstrative in his defense of his team than when they won 14-13. Because he knew they had won an ugly game. They, they had won a game in a different style than they were used to winning. And he was proud of them. Because you got to be able to do that. You don't, win, you don't win with your fastball 14 or 15 games in a row. You've got to have secondary pitches. You've got to have tertiary pitches. Well, Alabama won with their changeup that day. Texas A&M yesterday won with their uh, cut fastball. They won with their slider. They had to do something else. This is not a marquee opponent. It was not a marquee game. It was off a lot of radars. They found a way to win a game, and that's what matters, and they did it with their backup quarterback in Zach Calzada, and that's the guy they'll probably have to roll with this week. They're playing New Mexico, and that's the last game they have before they enter conference play against Arkansas in two weeks in Dallas. Very much bears watching. Because I think Texas A&M is one of my favorite teams this week, too. I love playing on teams when the quarterback's out. I love it. It has been a staple of this program. We have profited extremely well off of playing on backup quarterbacks. More on that in a second. The last thing I wanted to show you, I have not wrapped my head around it yet. Um, there's stuff that happens in college football. It would only happen in this sport. <laughs> Look at that lower third. I got uh, to know who came up with that afterwards. I am not creative enough to come up with the lower third, which says, by the way, Miami beats App State by a whisker. <sighs> I know good and well most of you weren't watching this game yesterday, and I wasn't either. But there was an occurrence that happened in this game that I swear to you could only happen in college football. This would never happen in Euro soccer. It would never happen in NASCAR. It would never happen in Major League Baseball or NFL. There's just some stuff that happens in this sport that is so unique to college football, it almost brings a tear to your eye. And so the scene yesterday, I've got the video for you because I would not blame you if you didn't believe me if I just described this to you. In the middle of the Miami App State game yesterday, there is a cat that is hanging from the upper deck by its claws. You're looking at it right now. That is a live cat hanging. And then the cat lets go with one claw remaining. And then the cat plummets to what looks like a certain death, except there are guys because of 9-11 with an American flag draped out, and they catch it like a rescue net. 
This is the best part. Then the guy who caught the cat extends him above the mob like Simba in The Lion King, and the place explodes. They went crazy like Miami had just scored a walk-off touchdown. Guys, the game's happening. This is not a commercial break. The game's happening on the field, and this cat is dangling by one claw, and then the cat drops. Look at everybody. They caught him with an American flag, and then the guy doesn't know what to do. And so what else do you do other than raise him like Simba, like the Lion King? Look at those people jumping up and down. Where else does that happen? What other sport does that happen in? That's the most bizarre, surreal, but makes perfect sense video that you could ever show someone that is a stranger to college football (laughs) to describe college football. Do you understand that as this was happening, Southern Miss was playing a game? I kid you not. Most of you probably don't know this. They had to shut down one of the tunnels at the Southern Miss game because a lady had a baby in the tunnel right there had a baby in the stadium. I don't know how you rework the attendance figures. I I got a lot of questions, to be honest with you, about having the baby in the stadium. But they had a cat almost, I, I, I don't know what we would call that. It's a rescue. That's what it was. It was a God bless America rescue because an American flag was used in lieu of an actual safety net. And then we had a lady give birth. What a renaissance year it is indeed in college football. So that was what they told you was going to be a sleeper week. Yeah, that was the week you could go and Have your fall wedding. Well, no, that's a trick question because you can never have a fall wedding at the right Saturday. Okay, here we go. Let's wrap it up here. Ramen Noodle Express goes three and two. Choo-choo. And we have got three best bets already. Normally, we do one on Sunday, but I have three games that I really need to jump on. Uh, These are going to require bravery on your part because they require betting on injured quarterbacks. Uh, Two of them, actually. So let's take a look at what we're rolling with. I already tweeted these out. It is imperative that you are following on Twitter and Instagram, at Josh. Some of these numbers have already moved. We're taking Texas A&M minus 25 and a half against New Mexico. It is very important you get on that number early. Penn State welcomes Auburn. We will be at this game in Happy Valley. That is our Renaissance Tour destination for week three. Penn State minus four and a half. We're taking them. Our number says 7.3. So we think the number's a little low, just a little overcorrection this past week. And Nevada is at Kansas State. You've got plus two and a half and plus three out there. Uh, Kansas State lost Thompson, their quarterback. You probably think that I don't know that by putting the number up. I do know that. It, this is not even going to be the first time that we've bet on Kansas State without that quarterback. So uh, independent of what you think about their quarterback depth, I tell you, either follow all these or follow none of them. We know what we're doing. It's not a guaranteed winner. It's not a lock or anything. We know what we're doing with that number. Kansas State plus 2.5, Penn State minus 4.5, A&M minus 25.5. And And i got to get out of here because we've gone well over an hour. Hey, this was not an easy show to put together. Hats off to our crew in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, There was a lot of spider webbery to work through, as there usually is this time of year. So hats off to them. Hats off to Director Colin. Make sure you are following. Again, Twitter and Instagram. We had more of our secret Friday night can't tell management about it gambling chat on Instagram live had record viewership on that the leans once again performed very well which makes you wonder why don't I hand out the leans instead of the actual picks everything did good this week on the ramen noodle express make sure you're following huge week coming up cannot wait to be at Penn State Auburn this Saturday until then gonna be a busy week thanks for watching I'm Josh Pate for our entire crew have a great start to your week and God bless